Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, it's Hanukkah, and it's uh, we just read Parshas Miketz, and the actually it's the fourth day of Hanukkah, but the fifth day of Hanukkah is coming up tonight, and that's a very special day. You'll see why it has all sorts of uh, interesting things about it, and we're talking about dreams because these are the headquarters of dreams. Uh, Yosef is interpreting the dreams of of Paro. We're talking about light, because it's Hanukkah, and, uh, and how to view the light, and how to view the world, and so there's a, there's a ton of ideas all sort of coming together right now. And uh, I want to begin with, um, with an amazing halacha, a very, a very uh, unique halacha that we see by Hanukkah. And, um, and I'm saying over this, this Torah, this I, I heard from uh, Reb Shlomo Karlbach. So, so he points out something very interesting, which is that in general, he's talking about the specialness of the Hanukkah lights and the Hanukkah uh, 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 menorah, just the, the whole mitzvah to light. And he points out a, 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 an amazing difference between that and every other mitzvah. Now, for instance, for a person to fulfill their obligation to do a mitzvah, you actually have to do the mitzvah. Someone can't actually do the mitzvah for you. So to give a couple of examples, if I, let's say it's Sukkot and I have a mitzvah to shake the lulav in Esrik. So, so someone else can't shake the lulav in Esrik for me, right? Um, you have to shake it. And then uh, if I say the blessing over it, you can say amen, but you're saying amen to the blessing doesn't fulfill your obligation to actually shake it. So, and this applies to all things. This would apply to, say, for a man, say, for tefillin. If I put on tefillin, it doesn't count as though you put on tefillin. You, you also have to put on tefillin. So, so you understand the idea. This is very basic. But we have to have this in mind when we hear about the uniqueness of the menorah. Now, the menorah is, the, as far as I know, the only mitzvah where the following uh, law actually applies. Imagine um, I'm on a train, and, and I haven't been able to light the menorah. And the train goes by, let's say it stops in front of a window with the menorah in the window. I can actually say the blessing, not the first one, Lahadlik Ner Shel Hanukkah, because that's on the lighting of the menorah. I haven't lit the menorah. But there are two blessings that you say. The second blessing is, That blessing over the menorah, I can actually say that blessing over your menorah, and I've fulfilled that mitzvah. So here you see something amazing, which is that you have done the mitzvah, you're doing the mitzvah counts as though I've done the mitzvah. And I can say a blessing over your having done the mitzvah. So you see that what, what you see here is, as far as I know, absolutely unique in, among the mitzvahs in, in halacha. But it shows you how Hanukkah is absolutely opening up the gates of togetherness and of healing and of bringing people together. Because here you see the barriers to, to individuals have been removed and sort of like the collective soul of the Jewish people is being revealed in such a way where you're doing the mitzvah is the same as my doing the mitzvah, or I can access you're doing the mitzvah, right? 
And all of this has to do with fundamentally looking at the candles because you look at the candles and that looking allows you to say the blessing. So now the question is, how are we looking at each other? Right? Because that's the, that, those are the gates that we go through in order to be able to access this amazing um, aspect of unity. So the question is, how are we looking at each other? Now, Rabbi Shlomo now brings another aspect of the laws of the menorah, which is you're not allowed to use the, men- the menorah for mundane use. And actually we say, Haneros halalu, that these are, the, this is what we say while we're lighting the, the, the candles. And in that it says that these candles are for, are holy and they're not for mundane use. Meaning to say, you can't um, light the menorah, and let's say in a time before electricity, for instance, or in a, in a power outage, pick up the menorah, use it as a torch, and then walk through the house holding it so that you can find your socks or something like that. Right? That would be considered a mundane use of it. Okay? And by the way, that's why we like the shamish, that extra candle, so that we can say that any use that's coming from the light of the menorah is actually coming from the light of the shamish. So, so, um, so there we go. So, so the, the point is, is that you can't, use, you can't use the light of the menorah for, for mundane use. Now, again, we just said that the whole idea is that the light of the menorah is fixing our eyes, how we see each other, how we see the world. So Reb Shlomo says something absolutely beautiful. He says that this idea that you can't use the menorah, that, that so many of us, when we look at each other, we, we, we look at what is it that you can do for me? That's how we're looking at each other. And, and so the menorah is coming to fix our eyes to show us that, you know something? I can just appreciate your beauty. Right? Because we're not allowed to use the light of the menorah. So this is a teaching to us that when we look at each other, we shouldn't see each other as this is some use that you can have for me. Just, you're beautiful, I'm beautiful, this is beautiful. It's all beautiful to just be part of the beauty. And I heard Reb, Rabbi Shimon Green say the following. He says, why do you always have to be the person walking down the road? Why can't you be the flower on the side of the road observing the person walking down the road. Right? So this is, this is the idea of just sort of like allowing yourself to be part of the beauty as opposed to, you know, transacting. Everyone is an aspect to your transacting things. Bless him. Now, with this in mind, Reb Shlomo now goes on to make an awesome, an awesome statement to show you that just how far-reaching this is, how beautiful this is, how much how much love can come from this type of um, thinking and, and outlook. He points to really where the, the I don't want to say where it all went wrong, but, but certainly an escalation from where it all went wrong, which is the relationship between Cain and Abel. So Cain and Hevel, these are the first two brothers, the first two brothers ever, right? And one murders the other. So you see the very first family the very, very first family in humanity, there was a, a murder took place. So, you know, we, we, we tend to think that the, the default setting, the regular setting is a happy family. 
But here you see that the, the very first family, you know, so, so, so we have to rise above that. We, we have to work within the challenges that are inherent in every family unit. By the way, I'll tell you something amazing, that, um, that uh, Rabbi Nachman says that, that all the warring nations in the world are reflected in, a, in, in, in microcosmic form, in miniature, in terms of family relations. So that the, the, the family unit actually mirrors the nations of the world who are at war. So, so again, you see that the, the, the normal setting, like if you're a happy family, that's not normal. <laughs> like appreciate it. Strive toward that. As opposed to saying, what's wrong with my family that we're fighting? Right? So, so, so we have to, that, that's basic in other words. That's not, you're crazy or that's, that's normal. And then we have to try to fix it. We have to try to rise above it. But anyway, back to Reb Shlomo. He points to, to this first family, these first two brothers, Cain and Abel. And, and again, we're talking about just the ability to look at each other and to appreciate one another. And we know that one of the sources of their uh, enmity was that um, Hevel, Abel, made a sacrifice that was accepted by God, and Cain, who made the first sacrifice, his sacrifice wasn't accepted by God. So Cain was very jealous and angry, and he ends up killing Hevel, right? Now, Reb Shlomo points out something so beautiful. He says, what if Cain, when Abel's sacrifice had been accepted, what if Cain's reaction was, thank you, God, for giving me such a holy brother? And what if Abel's reaction was, Hashem, I don't want you to accept my sacrifice unless you also accept my brother's sacrifice. So, do you hear? Do you hear? That would have healed the entire world. It would have healed the entire world. That level of appreciation of each other. Now, now listen to this. This is Parshas Miketz. We just read Parshas Miketz. And what's, what's, what's going on in terms of the Parsha? So we know just a little background. Yosef's brothers have sold him into slavery. Does that sound familiar? The family dynamic, the brothers warring against each other. So, so Miketz is all about Yosef now bringing the brothers to this place of tshuva, of, 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 of repair, of fixing their relationship with him and, and what they had done wrong. So this is all about healing this core family dynamic that's going on right now that we're reading during Hanukkah. And, and now, this is like a mind blower, and this, this for me anyway, this, this was pointed out to me by my friend Daniel yesterday. He says, look how... Where do you see the first instance of this word miketz? So if you go into Breshis, the first time that you see the word miketz, which means at the end, kates, we, we talk about um, uh, the, the, the end of days, 
we, we use this word kates. Um, so me kates is actually hinting at the time of Mashiach, actually. So, but anyway, so this Parsha, Mikates, which is about Yosef healing this relationship with his brothers, where's the first time that you see the word Mikates in the Torah? So the answer is, Vayahi Mikates Yamim, after a period of time, Mikates, this is English now, Kain brought an offering to Hashem from the fruit of the ground. And as for Hevel, he also brought and it goes on to tell the story of Cain and Hevel. So isn't that amazing that Mikates, which is about right now Hanukkah and fixing your eyes and bringing unity and appreciating each other, and Yosef trying to do that with his brothers, that the first Mikates is actually going back to Cain and Hevel, which is the beginning of these problems among brothers. Now, now, Daniel made a, a second connection, and, and we'll track this because, um, and I want to add to it, which is Mikates, if you rearrange the letters of Mikates, it spells out the word Kamates. Okay, now, I, 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 the, the Kamates was a, a very interesting Corbin. And you'll, we're going to learn a Medrash from Gomorrah Megillah which is Purim, so we're going to connect Hanukkah and Purim, which, you know, are sort of like twin holidays. But you'll see how this culminates in the salvation of the Jewish people and the coming together of unity of the Jewish people in a moment, okay? So this, 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 what, so what was the Kametz? What is, also known as Kamitza? What was Kamitza? Um, if someone brought a Korban Mincha, so that was a flower offering, you would bring it like a, a pancake, and it's interesting because there are all these different um, levels of korbonos. Like you could bring a bull, and you have to be kind of like a rich guy to bring a bull. If you think about it, a bull is like, you know, in, in, in the olden days, a bull is like a truck. So if you're, if you're bringing a bull, that means you've got some cash, basically, right? And then you've got increasingly less expensive offerings. And then the, the, the blessing that the, the common person who didn't have a lot of money would bring was a was a flower offering, so so and 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 Hashem says that this flower offering was actually the most precious of all the offerings to me, because the person really had to struggle even to have uh, th that amount to bring that. So 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 the this was from the korban mincha, and the way you would bring the flower offering is that that before you brought it and made it into a pancake, the the kohen would reach in with his hand and he would take this amount of flour. So, so if you're listening on tape, you would, you know, it's, it's basically the hang 10 sort of like a, a surfer sign where your pinky and your thumb are sticking out and your three middle fingers are closed. And that amount of flour that would fit with your three middle fingers, that would be a kametz, and that would be burned on the altar. And then that would make it so that the Korban Mincha, the rest of the flour, was, was sort of worthy of being brought as a sacrifice. And then the Kohen would get that. So this little bit of flour elevated and sanctified the entire Korban and all the rest of the flour. Okay. So, so, so here you see... That, that, that this idea of the Kamets, 
This idea of the Kamets is coming to heal the Mikates. The Mikates here we see is the time when Cain and Abel are fighting with each other. And that same, if you change around the letters, but it's the same letters, that Kamets, that sacrifice, is coming to bring kapora and atonement and salvation for all of us where there had been fighting or, you know, Avera, uh, you know, mis- misbehaving on our part. It's coming, it's coming to fix it. In other words, the, the, the seeds of the redemption are present within the, the description of the fighting. The mikates is, is already the fighting, right? Because that's the word that's introducing the tension between Cain and Abel. And the kamets, which is within that word, is already showing the healing of that relationship because that's a sacrifice, which is a healing sacrifice. But it's, but it's more than that. It's more than that. And, and I'm adding the following thing. And this is a story. This is in, this is in uh, Gomorrah Megillah. It's on page 16a uh, if you want to find it. So, so the, big, um, the big turning point, <clears throat> the big turning point in the story of Purim is when the king stays up all night, he can't get to sleep. He thinks that, that Haman is trying to kill him. Okay, and that's why Esther is only inviting Ahasuerus, the king, and Haman to these special parties. He's thinking, why, why is only Haman there? It's only one guest, you know. There must be some kind of plot, and they must be trying to kill me, and he can't go to sleep because he can't figure out why haven't any of my advisors exposed this plot? So, so then he thinks to himself, he's a smart guy, he starts thinking, it must be that earlier someone did try to save my life and I didn't reward them. That's why I'm not getting the information that I need. So he calls for his book of records and he wants to go through it. His, it's like an accounting that he's doing. To see, was there anyone who did something great for me, like save my life, and I didn't reward them? And so his advisor, who is against the Jews, I think it's one of the children of Haman, keeps on skipping over the chapter in the Chronicle of Records about how Mordechai saved his life with Bixen and Sheresh, who, who, who wanted to kill Ahasuerus, and Mordechai had exposed the plot. And so they keep on skipping over that page and miraculously the book of records keeps on turning back to that page. <laughs> and so, so finally they read and Ahasuerus says, how did I reward him? And, and they say, uh, you, you didn't reward him. And so now he's thinking, okay, now, now, now I know what's got to happen. I've got to reward Mordechai because Haman wants to kill me. And this is in the middle of the night. All of a sudden, he hears a noise outside of his door. Haman rushes in, right? Now, this is like too much. Haman is right there. He thinks Haman wants to kill him, okay? And so, and to become king. And so he says to Haman, what, what should be done for the person who the king wants to reward? And Haman thinks, it's got to be me. So Haman says to the king, oh, he should be dressed as the king and put on the king's horse. (laughs) And now Ahasuerus knows for sure that he wants to bump him off and become king. 
Because here he's already telling him that he wants to assume all the trappings that belong to Achashverosh. Right? So he tells Haman, okay, everything that you say, good, but do it for Mordechai. Now, Haman's head is absolutely spinning. Right? Like, what's going on? And he goes and he consults with his wife and his close friends. And uh, they say, you know something? If, if he's a Jew, you're not going to be able to defeat him. And then he goes to give um, the horse and all the king's clothing to Mordecai. Now we're going to get back to the Kamets, to Kamitsa. This is all just setting up what's about to happen. So, so Mordecai um, is learning with either some students. They were either children or I'm not sure, but he was learning with a group of people. And, um, and he sees that Haman is coming toward him with the king's horse. And Mordecai tells the students, um, this man is going to come and kill me now. He's now coming to try to kill me. And so Mordecai stood up and he wrapped himself in his cloak and he just started davening. Interesting, like, just that was his reaction. And Haman says to the students, by the way, what are you learning? Now, <laughs> interestingly, the Gomorrah tells us, and this is, pardon me for using this phrase, but this is more or less accurate. There is a kosher type of fortune telling, if you're interested in knowing what that is. Because most type of fortune telling, going to an astrologer, for instance, palm reading, all this stuff, tarot cards, all this stuff is is us or from the Torah. It's forbidden from the Torah because God actively doesn't want you to know what's going to happen next. He, 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 and he understands that we really want to know what's going to happen in our future. God doesn't want us to know. That, that's on purpose. That's on purpose. And, and so, so why? Because that's to teach us a number of lessons. One, that we should have faith. And two, that, that, that the future is unwritten and that it's really dependent on our actions, and that we're not, we're not slaves to any mazel or anything like this, and that, that, that really our own destiny is in our hands. So to the extent that we avoid going to these places, that, that's proper. However, if you really want to try to learn something, you're allowed to ask a child what passage in the Torah he learned in school that day from the Torah? You can ask your child, what Pasuk did you learn today? And that verse in the Torah will have some sort of meaning to you. That, that's permitted. So anyway, Haman says to, Haman says to uh, these students, what are you learning? And they say, we're learning about this Korban called the kamitza, where you take a, you know, the, the, these three fingers full of flour, and that's an atonement, and that's a kapara, that's a forgiveness for us. And Haman goes, I, your three fingers full of flour, which is what? Pennies, pennies, undid, undid my 10,000 talents of silver that I gave to the king to purchase the right to kill you. 
And by the way, that's in, in I've, I've heard like, you know, modern like, uh, you know, numbers in terms of what 10,000 talents of silver is. It's, 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 it's vast, vast sums of money. Vast. So, so anyway, I'll tell you something really kind of weird. Last night, listen to this. Last night, I'm trying to find where it was. I, I knew this teaching. Anyway, let me just finish connecting the dots and then I'll tell you this strange thing. So, um, so here you see, what was Haman's charge against the Jewish people? Why were we sort of susceptible to this decree from Haman? And, and there, 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 are, there are a number of reasons. But um, one of them that's given is, you can find it in, in uh, Megillus Esther. It's, uh, it's, it's verse 8, chapter 3. And this is the slander that Haman said uh, about the Jewish people. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there's a certain people scattered abroad, scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in the provinces of your realm. Okay? Mufuzar umaforad. Dispersed and scattered. Now what this means, what he was saying was that the Jewish people have seen us among each other and that they, they don't like each other for no reason. Causeless hatred. Remember, this is one of the reasons for the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. And, and so these people who are scattered, it's hinting at the lack of unity among the Jewish people. These people that are scattered are worthy of being wiped out. Okay? Now, now what undoes his plan? So according to Haman... It's this kamitsa of flour. And remember, this kamitsa, this, this korban, kamets, is the letters mikates. So mikates is talking about the first aspect of hatred between Cain and Abel. And yet within that word itself, is the fixing and the healing of the spreading out and the hatred among brothers because this comates is coming to save our lives and to fix everything and to bring redemption. And again, just so you appreciate the power of this word, mikates, the first time that you see it, by Cain and Abel, it says, mikates yamim, which the literal translation is, at the end of days. It's talking about the unity that's going to happen among the Jewish people at the end of days. It's already been planted in within us. We just have to fix our eyes in order to realize it. All these things are already present. We just have to rearrange the letters, so to speak, and to realize it. And what's the best example of this? You see, the word nega, nega is a blemish. And it's actually, it's actually when someone has saras. Why does a person get saras? There was this spiritual form of leprosy. In other words, it was a spiritual ailment that manifested itself physically on a person's body from speaking bad about each other. And why do you speak bad about each other? Because you've got a bad eye toward another person. 
So that causes you to speak bad. And then in days where we were more spiritually sensitive, that would actually have a physical impact on our body. Interestingly, we don't have it today because we're not worthy of having it. We've actually sunk to a level where we're not uh, even eligible to have this. But anyway, the spot that would appear on a person's body was called uh, a nega. Okay, that's called a blemish. Now, if you, if you rearrange the letters of nega, now how do, you, how do you rearrange it? By taking the letter ayin and moving it to the front of the word. Ayin means your eye. Ayin is not just the name of a letter in Hebrew. Ayin is a body part. Ayin means your eye. If you move the letter ayin in the word nega, which means blemish, it spells the word oneg, which means bliss. So in other words, how you look at the events in your life, you can either see something as a nega, a blemish, or as a cause of joy and celebration. You can look at another person as a blemish on your life, as a blemish on the world, or you can try to focus, move the eye in, move your eye, and try to locate the good part of that person and see how that person is trying. No one wants to be a bad person. Everyone's trying. Some people are trying a lot. Some people are trying a little. But everyone's trying. So if you, if you can't focus on what they're actually doing right, at least focus on the aspect of the person who's trying to do right. So again, just by rearranging the letters of Mikates, you get Kamates, and that Corbin Kamitsa is coming to heal the dispersion of the Jewish people, and then you get back to Mikates, Mikates Hayamim, the end of days when we're all going to come together. So, just as a P.S., and this is not part of this teaching, but just, just to tell you just something strange. Uh, I was trying to find this, where this was in, in, in the Gomorrah, and so I was Googling around, and, and uh, you know, I had all these keywords, and somehow I, I, I didn't have the right keywords, and I, I couldn't find this where it was. I told you it's in Megillah 16a, if you want to look it up. But I, I couldn't find it. I was getting a little frustrated, and then I go, and what, what am I looking for? I'm looking for this, this, this Gomorrah about the Kamitsa, where you grab it with your middle three fingers, and you know, you hold it. And so I got distracted, and I saw, a, a, unfortunately, should rest in peace, a, a, a movie star uh, uh, just died in a fiery car crash yesterday. And he was in these... Uh, he was in these movies about very dangerous driving. So it's very ironic, very tragic that he died. So the Fast and Furious movies. Paul Walker's? Yeah. Yes, and rest in peace. Anyway, so I got frustrated from looking at the, uh, for looking for this Kamitsa uh, Gomorrah. And so I clicked on that story about him. And I scrolled down, and they've got a picture of him. And in the picture, he's doing this. Right, he's holding his fingers, his hand in the kamitsa offering position. So, anyway, <laughs> so so as I've told you many times, you know, I pointed it out to my wife Judy. She's like, you know, it was a little off-putting. <laughs> 
She's like, what are we supposed to make of that? And I said, we got to pray. <laughs> so we both prayed. <laughs> so <laughs> anytime you get a coincidence, you got to pray. That's just go straight to pray. Okay. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, okay. So now I want to continue on. I want to continue on. And, um, and uh, back to, back to Miketz. Um, so we see that uh, at the beginning of this Parsha, Yosef is taken from prison straight to see the king. And as soon as this time um, uh, had ended, that, that, that Yosef was supposed to be redeemed. In other words, this, he had served his sentence, so to speak. Whatever, whatever kapora, whatever, whatever soul fixing that he needed to do, he had done. And then it says, uses the word miketz at the, at the end of those two years. Um, Yosef was taken to see the king. So now remember, this is probably the greatest meteoric rise in history. We have someone who's a hated Jewish prisoner. I mean, just all Jews were not popular in, in, in Egypt because they were vegetarians and we ate meat and for whatever other reasons. And, and he was a prisoner. So, so that's the lowest of the low. He's taken from prison to run the greatest empire in the world. To this day, we're just still talking about the greatness of the Egyptian empire. And, and this was done in the snap of a finger. And so, Miketz means at the end of the period that he had to transact his tshuva, his return, he was immediately lifted up. And they say that when the end of days comes, it can come in the blink of an eye. Right? So, so again, this idea of Miketz ending, it's just everything is incredibly precise to the second. Not only that, but you see another illustration of that, because when Yaakov Avinu was born, he was holding on to the heel of Esav. And one of the teachings of that is that Esav represents the Galos, the exile of Edom, of Rome. And as soon as that, that's the last of the exiles, that's the one we're in right now, when as soon as that's over, you've got Yaakov holding on to his heel, bang, right into the next era of humanity, right into Yaakov, right into Yisrael. So, so again, it's, it's the, the suddenness that it's going to happen with. Now, it says that, that, that Paro had a dream, and Yosef is coming to interpret, Yosef, uh, to, to interpret Paro's dream. And the word that it says, it's right in the, it's the, right in the beginning of the uh, Parsha, right? It says uh, the Chulem, okay, that means um, dream of Paro. Ches Lamed Mem. So why did Paro have this dream to begin with? And the reason is because Hashem wanted to elevate Yosef and to feed the world in its time of famine. Okay? So this word for dream, if you rearrange the letters, it spells lechem, which means bread or food. So you see, you see that within that dream, it was the vehicle to bringing food and bread into the word. Cholem is lechem. Now, 
Now, interestingly, what happens if a person cuts themselves off from their own dreams? If you rearrange the word letters for dream again, it spells machal, which means sickness. If a person stops dreaming, aspiring, loving, wanting to do better, wanting to increase, this is a root cause of sickness. And again, it's all contained within these three letters. And of course, what, what is our lechem? What, what nourishes us is our dreams, right? So lechem and dreams. So all, all, all present there. Now, now I want to transition because I want to show you something very, very interesting. So, so tonight is the fifth night of Hanukkah. And this is something we can all have in mind because the fifth night of Hanukkah is actually distinct from the other nights. And the reason is because it's, it's the only night, just the way the calendar works out, it's the only night of Hanukkah that never falls on Shabbos. So as a result, the fifth night of Hanukkah is the darkest night, is the darkest night of exile, if you will. Right? Because this is the time when the, the nights are longest. Hanukkah is always coming at the time in the year where the nights are longest. So, at least um, metaphorically, philosophically. And so, so there's a Hasidic custom actually to throw a party the fifth night of Hanukkah to bring light to this day. Now, in shuls on Hanukkah, you read every day about a different korban since, since what happened on Hanukkah, we, we rededicated the Beis HaMikdash. So the, the, um, the prototype of the Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, was the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the desert. So the section that talks about dedicating the tabernacle in the desert, the Mishkan, and all the tribes, every, every day a different tribe came and um, brought an offering, okay? Um, that's what we read on Hanukkah. So I started thinking, like, if the fifth night is the darkest night of Hanukkah, that it never has the light of Shabbos connected to it, what tribe is the fifth day of Hanukkah that we read in the Torah? And fascinatingly, it's Shimon. Shimon, you should know, is, is, Shimon is, is all over the place. Shimon, well, let, let's start with the basics. When Moshe Rabbeinu blesses the tribes at the end of his life, there's only one tribe that he doesn't give a blessing to, and that's Shimon. Not only that, but Shimon plays a behind-the-scenes kind of starring role in Parshas Miketz. Because when, when, when they decide to allow the brothers to go back, they hold one of the brothers in prison. Yosef holds one of the brothers in prison as collateral, so to speak, and he doesn't let him go, and that's Shimon. And Shimon is the one who is sort of like leading the plot to kill Joseph. So interesting, Shimon, which is the fifth tribe, 
right? And it's also the tribe where the whole thing with um, where Pinchas kills Cosby and Zimri. It was the tribe of Shimon that did that whole thing with the Midianite women, right? So, so, so Shimon is the one that doesn't have that extra aspect of light. But I was thinking, what is the Zohar? The Zohar, right, which is the repository of our, of our mystical teachings, the, the Zohar means light. That's what it means. And who is it written by? Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So here is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai who's coming to fix any light that's missing from Shimon, you know? Like filling in that extra light. All right, so now let's just talk about